Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is the last time we're going to say that in this greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, because we're going to finish off this chapter tonight. Now, the, the Sermon on the Mount covers Matthew 5, 6, and 7, so we're going to be moving into chapter 6 uh, next week. But um, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse number 43. Boy, I tell you what, Miss Josie, it looked like Charlie was trying to take you to Sunday school with him. <laughs> Charlie wanted you to go to Sunday school with him, didn't he? <laughs> he was walking out the door, and he stuck his hand up there, and he said, come with me. <laughs> so that's funny. I'm glad you didn't leave, but uh, he wanted you to anyway. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 43, the Bible says this, Ye have heard it said, ye have heard that it hath been said. And how many times have we seen that, right? Matthew chapter 5, once you get through the Beatitudes and a few of those other things that are similar to that, six times in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, really informs people uh, that the Pharisaic interpretation and the application of the Torah and all of these things, ye have heard that it hath been said, is referring to something else in the Old Testament. But Jesus is trying to say the way that they're interpreting it and the way that they are um, uh, processing it is just incorrect and, and woefully incorrect. But he says that again. You have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thy, and, and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, keep your finger there. Turn back to Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, with this section, we've come to the last of the six things that Jesus says, ye have heard that it hath been said. Now, let me tell you why you've completely missed the boat on what you've heard that it hath been said. Um, every one of these has dealt with a unique subject, um, but what we've seen in every one of them is that there is just this vast gulf uh, between the difference in the way that they interpreted it and the way that Jesus said that it should have been interpreted and the way that it should have been uh, approached. Now, the Pharisaic interpretation is found here in Matthew chapter 5 in the quote, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Uh, the Old Testament reference that that's come from is Leviticus 19, verse 18. Now, notice the difference here. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Uh, you can very plainly see what is absent from that verse. It says nothing about hating your enemy, does it? But what they did, and of course, they do this with everything else, they arrived at hate your enemy by basically narrowly interpreting neighbor to mean only the other Jews. So because it doesn't specifically say to love your enemy, they came to the conclusion that, well, the Bible only says love your neighbor. Your neighbor is the one that lives right next to you. That's, that's your people. So hate everybody else. You notice the difference. Turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, in their minds, the only ones you were supposed to love were the other Jews. And what followed was just a twisted logic and uh, an implied command then to hate everybody else. And that is clearly not what Leviticus 19 is saying at all. Uh, it's worth mentioning here that the Jews of Jesus' day were a very incredibly racist group. Uh, they liked and cared for only the Jews. And if you were not a Jew, 
then you are nothing to them. I mean, look, they looked at the Samaritans who were half Jew, half Gentile as what? Dogs, right? That's what they called them. Um, God's chosen people, and they were, but they believed that as God's chosen people that he had favored them beyond every other ethnicity. And they were God's chosen people, and they were his favored people. Uh, but if you look throughout the rest of the New Testament and everywhere else, God didn't only favor the Jews. He loves everyone. Uh, they grouped the entirety of the rest of the world together as Goyim, or the Gentiles, and labeled them as unclean. In fact, uh, Edersheim wrote a book on the life of Christ. He's, he's one of kind of considered to be an authority on the life of Christ, but he tells a story in there about a rabbi who every time he went to the market would come home and bathe himself just in case he accidentally touched a loaf of bread that a Gentile had touched. And in fact, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they spoke that way of the Pharisees, and that's who he was talking about. But the Sadducees even went so far as to make fun of the Pharisees and told them, you're going to get to the point where you even have to wash the rays of the sun because they shine on the Gentiles too. Uh, that's how bad it had gotten with the way that they were racist against these, that, those that were not Jews. Uh, so when the idea of incorporating the Gentiles, even in the New Testament you see this, the idea of incorporating the Gentiles on an equal scale and saying that Gentiles could accept Jesus Christ as their Savior as well, that was foreign not, you know, not only to those who were Jews that rejected Christ, but even the Jews who accepted Christ. I mean, look at, look at what, what Jesus had to say to Peter, right? Arise, kill, and eat. And he said, I can't do that. It's unclean. And God says, what I've called clean is clean. Just because you have your conceptions about this and everything else. I mean, look at the, look at the uh, and, we, and we've kind of been talking about this some on Wednesday nights, but look at the, the disparity between those who, uh, who Paul was going to the Gentiles and trying to reach the Gentiles, and there was other Jews that hated what Paul was doing. Because you're not supposed to be giving the gospel to the Gentiles. This is only for the Jews. The Gentiles are unclean. They can't be saved. And that's the way that they interpreted this passage. It was this type of culture and religious system that had gotten hate thine enemy from this Mosaic instruction to love thy neighbor. Now, that was never God's original intent. Um, the disastrous Pharisaic interpretation of this you know, law hinged on the wrong concept of the word neighbor. Their idea of neighbor was any other Jew. If you were not a Jew, you were not their neighbor. In fact, we're to view our neighbor in a much wider range than just those that share the same ethnicity or the same region or the same culture or neighborhood with us. Uh, if you look at it, in fact, we don't take the time to turn over there, but in Luke chapter 10, uh, Jesus revealed just who our neighbor really was in the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember that story? Uh, and so the, the parable was, was given in answer to a lawyer that wanted to, you know, um, parse Jesus' words exactly and get down to such a small point to find out exactly where his responsibilities were. And so, in essence, was, uh, Jesus' answer was, a neighbor is anyone that you meet that is in need. That Samaritan, that good Samaritan helped someone who was not of his, uh, of his race, of his ethnicity, of his you know, uh, neighborhood, so to speak. But he found somebody that was in need. And that's who Jesus said was our neighbor. And so when you apply that standard to the phrase, love thy neighbor, means I'm supposed to love anybody that I meet. And that's, you know, so that basically eliminates anybody that we ought to be hating as well. And that's what Jesus' point is trying to get across here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. You've heard it said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. God's intention with that original command in Leviticus 19 was to instruct us to show love people, 
show love to people that we can come into contact with on a daily basis. That's what Jesus' point was. And that's what Jesus said the point all along was supposed to be in Leviticus 19. So tonight, with that kind of understanding established, let's take a closer look at this passage here in Matthew chapter 5, finish out this, this uh, chapter here, and, and really examine just what Jesus was trying to get across here. Uh, it's a very simple truth. But it's a very necessary truth. So let's pray, and then we'll get into that tonight. Father, we love you. Again, I thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that you'd help us to understand this passage and that we'd apply it to our lives in the way that you intended us to do it. Well, thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the first thing I want you to see is this. Everybody loves people that are easy to love. Everybody loves people that are easy to love. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 46. Look what it says. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans also? Now, Jesus' use of the publicans as an example here was very telling. Uh, you, all, you know, all the way across the United States, every once in a while you come across ranking of American jobs and where people rank different jobs. And always, always at the bottom of the list is a used car salesman. Nobody respects that guy, Right? You always think that he's trying to pull one over on you. He just seems to be a sleazy, greasy guy. You know, I mean, look, when you see somebody out in public and you're like, boy, that guy looks like a used car salesman, right? I mean, and, you know, maybe we shouldn't be stereotyping, but we all do it because they have that certain look about them, right? They just, they just seem like they're, they're not being honest with you. They're trying to pull a fast one on you. And, and um, honestly, that's kind of exactly what the publicans were. The publican... Uh, that was kind of the equivalent of the publican in the Jewish culture. Now, the way that the publicans worked, and of course, uh, who is probably the most famous publican that you know in the Bible? Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a publican. And then you hear the story about the Pharisee and the publican, right? Why were the publicans so hated? Here's the reason why. Um, the Roman government thought that it would be a wonderful idea to basically subcontract out the collection of taxes. And so what they would do is they would allow... These publicans, as they became known, they would allow these publicans for a certain amount of money to become a tax collector. And then everything that they collected belonged to them. You think about how Zacchaeus said, I, you know, I've robbed people. I'm going to pay back fourfold. Well, what happened is these publicans would, and let's just use a dollar amount. Let's just say that for $40,000, you can become a publican for the Roman government. You can become a tax collector. So their job then was to go out and collect as much more than $40,000 as they could get away with because then that was their profit. And so they, they became known as just the people that everybody loved to hate because they were going to try to milk every dime out of you that they could get out of you, like a used car salesman, right? That's exactly the way that it is. But, but, but honestly, that's kind of what the, the job of the publican was. And so what happened was, uh, I, I mean, think about this. Take, take uh, you know, how much the IRS is hated, right? Because, man, they seem like they try to get every penny out of us, too. Take, take an IRS agent, put him on a pay scale where he makes commission, double the amount of hatred for him, and that's what you had with the publicans. Uh, that's the way that it was back in Jesus' day. And so what Jesus is talking about here, and, and let's look at it again now in that light, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his sun to shine on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For, verse 46, if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the publicans so? I mean, Jesus is using the publicans as an example because they were the absolute most hated people in Jewish culture for the most part. 
And Jesus said, even the publicans do that. They love people that love them, right? So Jesus' point then in referring to them was to say that even such a widely despised group like the publicans loved people that loved them back. Even the publicans loved their family members. In fact, I, I, I heard, I mean, you, you all know who Joseph Stalin is, of course, personifies what it means to be a dictator, and there's been many books written about him, but there was one book in particular uh, that, that kind of just talked about his iron-fisted rule and his slaughter of just the millions and millions of people that he killed, and, and uh, this particular book about him kind of takes uh, the, the readers into the daily life of Stalin and what he went through, and, and of course, you know, uh, it showed you the wickedness, the, just the, the debauchery and everything else that was about his life. But interestingly enough, that book talked about the fact that Stalin loved at least one person unconditionally, and that was his daughter, Svetlana. Uh, he loved her unconditionally. And in, in fact, she, did not, she didn't die until 2011. But it just, it, it actually, and she said this many different times in different interviews, that it actually really bugged her that a man as evil as her father, could love her so much. Why did he love me so much if he was such a, a, an evil person? And it, and it bothered her. What am I doing wrong that he would love me that way, you know? Um, and now she died in, in 2011, but for decades that, that haunted her. Why would such an evil man love me so much? Uh, I read another story about a lifelong con man, Clark Rockefeller, and maybe you've heard of him before, but... Uh, he was finally done in because he loved his daughter so much that he was not willing to leave and take on a different identity to hide himself. He loved his daughter. And so what the Bible is talking about here is everybody, even publicans and sinners of all types, love people that are easy to love. So it's hard to offer somebody congratulations for, for loving somebody uh, that is lovable because even the, the worst of the heathen world does that. Everybody loves people that are easy to love, but also, and we see this in verse number 45, it's only in loving the unlovely that we become like God. Look at verse 45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. To me, this is the heartbeat of this entire passage. This is what Jesus is trying to get across. Why are we to love unlovable people? Because that's what God does. And we're to be like him. Our goal should be to be as close to being like God and like Jesus Christ as we can. That's holiness. That's being like God. The most famous verse in the entire Bible, I believe, John 3, 16. God so loved the world. It doesn't say he so loved the world except this person, this person, this person, this person, that group, this group, those types of people. It doesn't say that at all, right? The world is the world. That's everybody. And the Bible says that God so loved the world. Not only is that revealed most clearly on the cross, um, but it's, it's even revealed in a more mundane way, in the way that Jesus Christ, the way that God takes care of everyone who hates him in this world today, right? Think about all the people that are anti-God. Think about all the people who claim to be an agnostic or an atheist or people who just hate God and, and, and spout their hatred for him all the time, right? People who hate Jesus Christ. He gives, he gives them another day of life. He gives them their breath. You, you look at verse 45. He makes the sun to rise on them. It, he, he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Even God's enemies breathe his air. 
right? Even God's enemies drink his water and eat his bread. That's so radically different from how humanity has treated uh, their enemies over the, over the course of history. Um, in fact, one of the most disturbing things that you can come across in studying the life of Christ is the specifics in the siege of Jerusalem uh, that took place under the Roman general and, and later the emperor Titus in A.D. 70. Now, this was a little bit, you know, some time after Jesus, but uh, Josephus, who, who was a historian during the time of Christ, has written extensively on that. And he said that, that there were so many people that were killed that there were crosses in a ring all the way around the city of Jerusalem, and there were so many of them that literally the arms touched each other. That's how many people were being killed on a daily basis by this, this emperor. Uh, when Herod the Great rebuilt Ezra's temple, he put a drain from the brazen altar all the way down to the Kidron Valley so that the blood of the hundreds of thousands of animals that were being killed as sacrifices would have a place to drain off. And um, when, uh, when the siege of Jerusalem happened, these wealthy Jews that were desperate to find a way out of the city crawled through that accumulated filth of that drain. And you can just imagine how nasty that must have been. But they crawled through the filth of that drain. And when they came out the other side, Titus had, had soldiers waiting for them and just slaughtered them when they got to the other side. And of course, they had no way of getting information back, telling the rest of them, don't come this way. And so every one of those Jews that came out of that drain was slaughtered in the Kidron Valley. And of course... Uh, the siege began around the time of the Passover, and so since all the Jews were commanded to return to Jerusalem for the Passover, uh, they allowed all of these Jews to get back past these Roman guards, but they were not allowed to bring any food into the city. And so where there would normally be 200,000 people became 2 million people, and all of them without food because they wouldn't allow any food into the city. Um, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just amazing how... how uh, cities and countries and rulers treated their enemies. And boy, you could, you could go for hours and hours and days probably talking about stories of, of things that were done to their enemies, uh, not just of the Jews, but of any culture and the way that they are slaughtered and, the, and, and tortured and tormented and all of these things. But God, on the other hand, feeds, supports, gives new life every day to the people who hate him and the people who have made it their life's goal to be anti-God and to attack everything that God holds dear so when we love our enemies, we're acting like God. And that's what he's telling us that we ought to do. Children everywhere naturally resemble their parents. And that's the title of what we're talking about tonight. As children of God, we're to resemble our Father in the way that we love our enemies. Now, everybody loves people that are easy to love. It's only in loving the unlovely that we become like God. And here's the last thing, and that's this. God even tells us how to do this. Verse 44 of Matthew chapter 5. But I say unto you, love your enemies. How? First thing is to bless them that curse you. To bless is to praise or to favor or to cause to prosper. The idea here is not that you're so important that you cannot, uh, uh, that you would ignore your enemies, uh, refusing to debate them, refusing to attack them, anything. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, the idea is not even that you're to treat them with the same fairness and common decency that you would just give somebody who is your friend. What Jesus is saying is love them that hate you. That means give them special treatment. That means uh, seek to do them good, more good than you would normally do those who you meet. You think about that. 
Love them. Love your enemies. How? Bless them that curse you. That's a hard thing to do. When somebody curses you, boy, the first thing you want to do is to, is to punch them in the face, you know, or to get back at them. What God is saying is not, don't just ignore them. Don't just treat them like you would, you know, any one of the other friends. Bless them. Go above and beyond in the way that you treat them. That's a hard thing to do, but that's how, we, that's how we're more like God. The second thing that he says is this. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. It's ingrained in our human nature to treat people the way that they treat us, right? Somebody treats you good, you want to treat them good in return. Somebody treats you horribly, what's your first reaction? I don't, I don't, you don't deserve anything from me. You didn't, you didn't treat me that nice. Why should I treat you nice, right? How many times has that happened maybe when you've gone to a restaurant or something like that and you get a waiter or a waitress that's rude to you, right? Your first instinct is not to be, you know, to be nice to them or to give them a large tip or something like that. I mean, that's just a small example. But, but what does God say? Bless them that curse you, but what? Do good to them that hate you. And again, all right, it's not like you're going to a restaurant and they're, you know, slopping your food on their plate, on, on your plate because they hate you. Uh, but many times we are going to be hated for being Christians, and they're going to make it known that they hate us because we're Christians, right? They hate it when we stand up for what's right. Uh, that happens so many times politically, right? And, and say what you want to about Trump, but he stands up for a lot of the things that we ought to be standing up for when it comes to the, you know, the, the, the word of God, when it comes to abortion and a lot of these other things. And I, like him or not, we ought to be standing up for things that are right. And what's going to happen against, uh, with those groups that, that, that are pro-abortion, right? They're going to hate us for, for taking that pro-life stance. What about these groups that are, you know, uh, pro-LGBTQ, whatever else you want to say? They're going to hate us when we stand up for what's right, right? They're going to hate us for those things. But it doesn't say, well, when they get in your face and spit and holler and yell at you, that you can spit and holler and yell back, does it? What does it say? Love them, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you. And here's the last thing that he says, pray for them which despitefully use you. There's a school of thought out there, oh, I'll pray for them, all right? I'll pray that God sends fire down from heaven and destroy them, right? Uh, you've heard that before, we've talked about that before. It's, uh, and I'll, Stephen Anderson is one of those guys that does that. And I know we, we don't talk about him a lot, but he's one of those... He said this before and, and plainly speaking about it. I pray every night that God would kill all the homosexuals and send them to hell. That's not. I mean, that is directly against what this passage says. When Obama was the president, he said, I, used, I pray every night that God would kill Obama. That is not what God is telling us to do. Look what he says. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Boy, that's, that goes against our natural instinct, Right? The tendency is to pray that God would judge them according to their works. Now, God says that he's going to, but he doesn't tell us to pray that way. Right. He tells us to pray that, that good would happen for them. Pray for them which despitefully use you. We're to pray that they would come to Jesus Christ. We're to pray that they would find mercy and grace and forgiveness. We're to pray that God himself, who, who is omnipotent, would favor them with goodness. That's how we're supposed to pray for those who are opposed to us. Right? goes against our nature. The flesh lusteth against the spirit. Doesn't the Bible say that? That goes exactly against what our mindset is many times. We're to pour out in prayer to God not only our heartache over the abuse that they've handed us, 
but also our desire to see God draw them to himself and to do them good. That's how we're supposed to love. Think about Stephen. And we won't take the time to turn to that passage, but Stephen in Acts chapter 6, here he was kneeling uh, as, they were, as they were stoning him. He is dying, and what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? That's what this passage is about. How do you, as you're being stoned to death, pray for them? God, please, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lay not this sin to their charge, he said, right? That's, that's the epitome of what God is talking about in this passage. That's being like Christ. When he was on the cross, what did Jesus Christ say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand who they're killing. They don't know what they're doing. Please forgive them. That's what we're supposed to do. Everybody loves people that are easy to love. It's only in loving the unlovely that we become like God. God tells us how to do this. And lastly, in conclusion, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. In other words, be just like God. Love the unlovable. That's what he tells us to do. Just as children naturally resemble their parents, their father, both in physical features and in the way that they think and act and talk. And boy, I tell you what, uh, for years people have told me that I look like my dad. And the older I get, the more I feel like I look like him. And the more I, you know, uh, the more I see my mannerisms, I'm like, man, dad used to do that when I was growing up. You know, and here I find myself right in the middle of doing the exact same thing. And it's just, it's genetics. You're going to look like your father. Ladies in particular, you're going to look like your mother. You're going to do things that they do because it's inherent to do that. And boy, that's exactly the way that it ought to be with us as Christians. If God is our Father and we ought to look like Him, we ought to act like Him, we ought to talk like Him, we ought to live like Him, we ought to be easily recognized as the children of our Heavenly Father being just like Him. The Boston Marathon in uh, what year was that? 2013. 2013. Uh, when they planted those bombs, and as people were coming across the finish line, those, those pressure cookers is what they were. They exploded. And um, a, a lot of people were injured. Uh, 264 people, to be exact, were injured. Many of them lost legs and everything else. Three people were actually killed. And, of course, I, I don't know if you remember. It's hard to believe that it was already six, or nine, uh, six years ago. Uh, I guess time just flies when it comes to those kind of things. But you remember them, everything about the news was the, 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 uh, um, the, the how do you say that, the Sonarev brothers, I think is how they ended up pr pronouncing it. But uh, they were looking for him, and remember they found him in that boat. He was hiding in a boat. And um, uh, anyway, one of them, Tamarian Sarnev, was actually shot several times. His brother actually ran him over in his way, in his, in his, uh, attempt to get away from the police, and he eluded he the police for a time. He was found in that boat, but the one of them ended up dying. And of course, you know, the Boston funeral home that, that volunteered to take care of Temerian's body, uh, they required around-the-clock police protection because, I mean, people were just, how could you as a funeral home prepare this body, you know? Um, no cemetery, though, would take them. Um, that happened up in New England, obviously. And uh, weeks later, 
um, the Boston Police Department because they just could not get anyone to any cemetery to take this body, begged anybody across the country, would somebody please take this body? And I don't know if you remember this or not, but right out here in rural Virginia, uh, Martha Mullen um, heard about that through the, uh, she was sitting at a Starbucks and she, she saw that in a paper or heard it come across uh, somehow. And she said, somebody needs to do something about that. And so she decided to be that somebody and, and through her efforts, uh, Tamarian Sarnov's body was brought uh, to the end of a long, quiet gravel road on Sadie Lane in Doswell, Virginia. It's right around the corner from here. And needless to say, obviously, there was a lot of people, people even in her, her own family, who found out that she was allowing that body to be brought and buried in that cemetery, were, were just completely unhappy with what she was doing. Didn't agree with it. This guy is a terrorist. He ought to be, you know whatever else. His body doesn't belong in our cemetery is basically what they said. And so um, the reporters from the AP called her to talk to her, and she answered a few of their questions. And she was asked what was her, her response <clears throat> to all of this hubbub about the fact that she was willing to take this body and everything else. And her explanation was very simple. She said this, Jesus said to love your enemies. How do you argue with that? But that's exactly what it was. Yes, the Sonarov brothers were evil, wicked, horrible people. They did some evil, wicked, horrible things. They were the enemy. But what did Jesus Christ say that we're supposed to do? Love your enemies. And in doing that, loving, being in a loving uh, being loving in a situation like that, in, in, a, in a situation that was so filled with hate, she showed herself to be like God. And maybe that's a dramatic example. You know, maybe we're not going to be called upon to, to, to uh, host the body of a terrorist. But there's going to be times, a lot of times in our lives, when people are going to do things against us that prove that they are not only our enemy, but the enemy of God. And the way that we become the children of our Father is by loving them the way that God said that he would love them. And the way that he tells us that we ought to love them as well. He says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Are you showing God to everybody around you? Because as his children, that's what we ought to be doing. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We do want to be your children. We are your children. We want to resemble you as your children. And so I pray that you'd help us, as you tell us to do here in this passage, to love our enemies. Not an easy thing to do. The easiest thing to do is to, to, to strike back, to hit back, to fight back. But you tell us to love our enemies. And so I pray that you'd help us to do that. And God, that we might win some people to you because of that. God, that you'd help us to be so much like you that when people look at us, they can tell that we are your children. They can tell by the way that we act and look and speak and everything else that we are the children of God. And God, I pray that if there's any way that we're lacking in these areas, that we would take that step forward tonight in becoming more like you. What a great reminder. I pray that you would help us, God, to live in that way and to be pleasing to you with the way that we do that. Thank you for everything that you do in Jesus' name.
Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. This is exactly that. If God's spoken to your heart tonight, the invitation is open and you can come.